Good morning and welcome to Coffee with the Sarlows. I'm Kelly. Good morning. I'm Karen. Kelly, I'm excited. I, I just ate chocolate. <laughs> and that's enough. <laughs> um, but I'm excited and want to say thank you to the listeners today. Mm-hmm. Because some people have been driving to work every morning or back home every night or waking up Saturday mornings or Sunday mornings and having their coffee or their tea or their drive with us. And we're hearing more and more from people how much they enjoy hanging out with us. Yeah, it's nice. It's beautiful. So thank you if you're spending your time listening to us today. And we hope that you enjoy the laughs and the good stuff, but also that you're learning something about yourself and, and perhaps about the lies and the truths that, let's say, TV or movies or religions or parents or friends give us. And I hope that the podcasts are helping people be s- stronger so that if somebody in their life poo-poos it or makes fun of them because they they connect to their own intuitiveness or to the spirit world, that they just feel stronger in their core in understanding that that is a relationship between them and their own spirit and their own universe. And that if other people don't participate in it, then it's their loss. That's a good opening. Yeah, I, I hope so. I, like I say, you know, you and I enjoy doing this because we like hanging out together. Yeah, I guess it's okay. <laughs> okay, let's get to today's show. Well, we're going to do show notes first. I think the most exciting show note that we can begin with is our evening with medium events that we're still hosting for the public three times a year. We've got dates in 2018 for April 27th, August 24th, and December 14th. And we actually sold April out before February. Mm -hmm. So we've got tickets on sale for August and December. We're actually already over half halfway sold for August. Mm -hmm. So tickets are going fast and there are no extras. There are no exceptions. This isn't a call in a favor. There are a certain number of seats and that's all we got. Mm -hmm. And people don't return tickets. We've never said that before, but people are calling and saying, hey, if you get a ticket turned back in, can you let me know? We don't get that. It's final sale. So Mm -hmm. we just saying those tickets are final sale. Okay. So we also like to note in our show notes that we offer personal sessions, both you and I, but separately in our practices. Mm-hmm. And you can contact us directly via email or telephone, which is on the website. We also do workshops. So people can contact us either through the website or at our business numbers to come into a business, a group or an organization. And we talk about a variety of topics. Perfect. And we also have gift cards available for people and you can gift them to whomever you'd like all over the world. We do Skype, FaceTime and telephone for sessions. So you can gift it from anywhere to anywhere. Mm -hmm. And last but not least, we always like to promote our smaller show Sips of Sanity. That's at the beginning of every month, five mini shows based on one theme per month. And that'll be coming up uh, next week. Mm-hmm. And there's an archive on the website for podcasts, for Sips of Sanity, and for Coffee with the Sarlos. Good? Okay, let's launch in today's show. So this is a client's story. And interestingly enough, the person who named the show is dead. The guy that named it is the husband of the wife who came to see me. So the client is the wife, Adele. And the gentleman who passed, Harv. Uh, is the one that said what he wanted the show to be called today. And he called it Grief Paralysis. 
I really, really liked his term. I've never heard of that before, although maybe lots of other people have coined the term grief paralysis. But the whole session started when she sat down. This is a woman, I think she'd be mid-50s, who came in um, and just requested medium. This is all how it began that day. So I'm going to go through the story, Kelly. And once again, you're going to jump in and comment and ask questions. And he said to me that he told her he liked her. He loved her all the time. So she was looking for affirmations at the beginning. Like, how can you prove this is my husband? And so what he decided wasn't, I'm not going to jump in and just say I had brown hair. I worked here. I was um, a landlord or whatever it was. He said to me, I want to get right to the point. And this is something I love about the medium part. When they're organized? Yes. And like strategic? Yes. When the spirit world, well, they always know there's a booking. (laughs) They always know exactly what they're going to do. But sometimes the client won't let you and I be organized because they they will ask the questions or they... They have their own agenda. Yeah. And, and some of them just want proof, proof. They they, they want to know what the tattoo says. Mm-hmm. They want to know... What um, my nickname was. Yes. What they, his last words were. Yeah. They're not looking for his behaviors, his apologies, his acknowledgements. But then on the other side of it, there are clients that do come in with that. And I think because maybe they're ready to hear it, or perhaps because they are looking for some closure, or perhaps just because they're so damn lost, mm-hmm. they're so stuck that they're just, they're just literally waiting for something, uh, just some dynamite to move them, to shift them somehow, mm-hmm. the miracle moment. So this is how he began. This was what he would call his miracle for her. But you'll, well, anyway, it's debatable by the end, but you'll, you'll get it. Okay. So he says to her, to me, tell her that I'm the one that told her that I loved her all the time and that I loved her body. I loved sex and that, but it, it all had to be on his terms. He had to be able to decide if he was going to make her feel that she was sexy or not. So from one day to the next, she could wear the same outfit or say the same type of thing. One day it would work, the next day it wouldn't. And he purposely kept control so that she'd never know. Sounds like love to me. Not by Patricia Evans stands. (laughs) Oh, Jesus. What is that? But he's calling that love. So was she in agreement at this point? Oh, yeah. Yep, he loved me. Yep, he oh, liked me. Yep, yeah. he loved my body. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Crying, missing him. Mm-hmm. Um, can't go on, doesn't know how to go to work, can't get out of bed. Well, and I think as people are going to hear as this, this whole conversation goes on, that it's depression. Mm-hmm. That he created it right from the beginning of dating her. And that through 27 years, she lives her life like this mm-hmm. thinking and really truly believing him believing his whichever story, yeah whichever story everything he confabulates so she believes everything as he goes along as he changes his mood she's right along there to believe it because he keeps saying he loves her and it's confusing 
So even in the confusion, she just doesn't know where to go or what to do. Because as soon as she sort of feels like it's time to move on, or maybe this isn't what it is, or maybe a girlfriend says, what the fuck? What are you doing? Maybe as a coworker, somebody challenges her, or she sits and watches a show and starts to question something and goes home and brings up the topic. Well, I saw this show. He continues to string along and put everything else down. Are you going to believe that? He totally twists everything on her. He felt good, he said, and this is what he said to her. He said to tell her that he felt good when he knew he was in control of her emotions, that he could control them. That if she woke up in the morning on a Saturday and maybe was excited and happy, it was a Saturday, it was a weekend. If he could take her down so that she felt despair, he felt good. Can we, can we speed this up? No. Because, well, it's <laughs> so important because it creates the paralysis of grief. It, it's important for people to listen to it. I can understand your irritation. I can understand a listener's irritation if they're healthier people. But for the people listening to this, no. Because they literally have to be able to sit there and listen to these things to be able to understand it in their own relationships. And some of them might have a decent relationship at home, but have a boss that does these things to them and not understand why they feel confused or why they feel stuck. The whole idea that in different types of relationships, how do we get to the point where we are paralyzed? Okay so important Kelly because it never happens just overnight or it happens so repetitively and it just keeps degrading slowly and slowly or all of a sudden it degrades really quickly but we just feel so trapped we don't know what else to do and he came through that day to go through their relationship to say these are the things I did it took us the whole hour for her to understand it even though I would sit there and say something like that to her in the first one minute of her session, she's still telling me she misses him. Mm -hmm. She's still telling me, can you prove it? She's still saying things to me like, but he loved me, right? He's here to tell me he loved me, right? So still needing to believe the false, the false belief. Yes. And so through, through that, through all of these examples that he gives all the way through the hour, which painstakingly he shows me so that he can say, this is what I did. This is how I confused her. I knew I had to throw out the garbage. I would walk right past a garbage can. I knew it was full in the kitchen. I just shoved it down even more. She knows I'm the one that shoved it down and heaped it up over the top and spilling out the side. She knows I'm the one that did it. I'm not going to empty it. She's going to have to ask me five times. He did these things on purpose. But I had to literally sit there and say he knew he did these things. And I, I know how important it is for some people listening to this to go, oh, so he does know. Because some people still have this going on with their own kids. They have it going on with their own partners or coworkers. And they think they're going crazy because it's like, I know it's overheaping garbage. I know it's garbage day. We lived in the house for 27 years. He knows it's garbage day, but he's still just shoving it on top and walking away. 
and waiting for me to say or do it myself or say, can you take out the garbage for the fifth time, sixth time? He did it purposely to prove that he could make her beg. Okay. He could make her repeat herself. That's why I said, no, I can't go fast over this because it is in so many people's lives. Mm -hmm. And they sit in those situations day upon day. In confusion. In confusion, wondering do they really not know the garbage can is tipped over, is, is, is overflowing? They wonder at the things that are obvious. And that's when the red flags were supposed to be going off, but hers didn't anymore. And that's that all of those years of the abuse. It's key for people to hear. Key. For them to hear that she didn't get her affirmation for this till he's dead. Key that going to a therapy or having a friend tell her or a parent say, oh, come on, honey, he's got to know the garbage is over full. Oh, come on, it's obvious, blah, blah, blah. All these other people can say it, but she refuses to believe it because it's him, her partner. Because she doesn't want to have to go through any of the other steps. And because he knows that, he continually does those things on purpose. So finally, when he's dead, within the first five or 10 minutes of the session, he starts listing the things that he did for her. And it takes a good 10 minutes of me listing these things, literally saying the garbage can, um, the cotton ball container, the, he starts going through and actually saying all those things, Kelly, so that she can sit there and I can see, I can see the look on her face of absolute disbelief that I'm saying this. So she wants to sit there and look at me, Eddie, even though all of this is bang on accurate and she can tell me it is. She's still looking at me like he's dead and I still can't believe you're telling me that he, this isn't my husband. No. Because he loved me. Yeah. That's important. This is really important because wait till you hear some of the things that occurred. Okay. Okay. Because of these patterns, it waned away at her self-confidence so that she stayed in jobs where she was abused. If anybody's hearing that, there's another one. There's another flag that sometimes you have something like that going on in a personal relationship and you don't think that it's going to affect your business life or your professional life or your career, or whatever you want to call it. You don't think that. You think that you're compartmentalizing it over there. You know you have a problem at home, or maybe you don't, but you don't realize that it actually whittles away at your confidence so that you don't apply for the promotion or a transfer or go back to school or change direction in life in a career. So he brought that up. He said that he made sure that if she was talking about changing her job, that that's just when he'd kind of hit her a little harder, not about a job, he'd build her up and say, Oh, yeah, go for it. But then he'd do the other things, like the garbage can stuff, just so that, you know, she was still confused, hit her hit her in the self confidence area. So if she doesn't go for the job, 
Oh, well, next time. But he knew that it was keeping her down. Even though when they were around friends or out, he would show support. And again, how confusing is that? That if you're out with your friends and he's being a supportive husband, that make you kind of think like you're crazy. Mm -hmm. You can't really figure out what's going on within yourself that you're sabotaging your life. And now you, you internalize it. You think it's you. Oh, you learn to not believe what you see or hear. Mm-hmm. And so what reality can you trust? Yes, that's a great way of wording it. So instead, you don't trust any and you, you just, this, that's this paralysis again. So it isn't just a grief paralysis, it's career. Like it's so many other areas of her life. And so he actually sat there and started pinpointing how he was controlling all of those other aspects of her life. So he'd say it to her again. And then after a while, I think it was about 20 minutes, you could see her just starting to shift slightly in her chair, just starting to have a furrowed brow, like, huh? Like, but starting to piece things together. That's why I didn't do things for my job. That's why I stayed. She just was starting to see it. Now, this is 20 minutes, so that's good. This is very good. Because I would say in the bigger span of life, 20 minutes is fast. I remember one of the things she said, Kelly. She said in the 27 years that she had been with him, that she never once heard him acknowledge any of that. So if she questioned him and said, did you know that the garbage can was full? Did you know that it needed to go out? Did you remember it was Thursday? Did you? And if he would answer her with no acknowledgements, like just silence or grunts so that there wasn't really any communication, Mm -hmm. he would avoid actually saying anything. So if she repeated herself, he'd ignore it again, but he'd mutter under his breath so that she couldn't really hear it so that it wouldn't really give her anything to argue with. Once again, if you don't really hear what they're saying, and now you have to make them repeat themselves, he'd come back and attack her and say, what, are you deaf? Mm -hmm. And change the subject so that she couldn't really deal with what she was confronting him about. So instead, he'd create a diversion. I'm curious, just as another channeler, why you felt he named this show Grief Paralysis. Did At some point, did you disagree with that? I don't remember. Okay. I don't remember yet, so I think I'll try and just keep going through it sure. as much as I can. Um, I'm, can I continue? Oh, yeah. I, have, I think I remember, but I kind of want to mm-hmm. keep going through the story first. He said that she went to a doctor and she said that was correct. He said that she went to the doctor because she was feeling depressed. She didn't want to get up and go to work. She was, it was work-related depression. Was this before or after he passed? Before. Okay. And he liked that, that she was blaming a coworker or or a boss, I think it was, um, that she was not functioning properly at work, which is true because of all of this behavior at home. But it was looking good for him now that she could blame something else. So she was blaming a boss, saying that the boss was bullying her. So she went to a doctor and said that the boss was bullying her. 
and the, the doctor said she was depressed and um, <laughs> what well, there was a depression because of this that she couldn't cope with this behavior at work and now you have to remember she's telling the doctor all kinds of stories about how she's being treated at work nothing about her husband right I still disagree, but that's okay. Oh, but I'm just saying this is what he admitted to. He was so happy when this occurred, when he was on earth as a human, that she found something to complain about. Yeah, sorry. I'm disagreeing with the doctor. Oh, yeah. Okay. And and I understand that, but I'm trying, I remember trying to put my head in the space of understanding the doctor sitting there and not knowing any of this, except that she's walking in ref- and telling the doctor, all about just the abuse at work. She's just saying my boss is picking on me. She's not saying my husband ever. So she's trying to make it sound like there's a case at work for this. So I want a leave of absence from my job. So she put it all on the career. And when he would, when she would come home and say, I'm depressed, he would, he would say, yes, that person, that job, that boss is, is being mean. He wouldn't say, even though he knew what he was doing, he wouldn't say, geez, maybe you're depressed because of me. He would say it was based on the work environment. So the physician prescribed antidepressants. This is such a fucking mess. Yes. That's not depression. I understand. Okay, but, but I'm just, I know you understand, but I'm also just saying it because like you said, someone's listening to this show, putting themselves in her shoes mm-hmm. or recognizing that they're in her shoes and going, okay, so it's not depression due to work. It's depression due to my relationship. But the fact of the matter is it comes back to not having the tools to cope with any of the, the abuse that's happening. Bingo. You can't labor, label yourself depressed be just because you're being abused. Mm-hmm. You either do or do not have the skills to cope with the abuse unless you are a child and don't have the emotional intelligence yet to deal with those things. Yeah. And at that point, he apologized at that point. At that death point. Uh, now that he's dead, he tells her he absolutely knew what she was doing at that point. He knew that she was going in and telling the doctor all of this stuff and that the doctor was prescribing the medication and saying, here are antidepressants for it, and that she had been on them for years. She wasn't actually checking in with the doctor. She was just getting prescriptions back. But if the doctor asked her questions, she'd say, yes, it's still the same boss. Yes, it's still the same situation. I'm not improving. And so she was on the meds for a long time. Lying, not fully telling the physician the story, not not offering all of the information. I'm sure he would have done the same thing. Well, maybe or maybe not. Maybe some physicians, yes, and maybe some physicians, not. Like, the, the, this person, this husband, is coming through to say, I know this situation, and I know that she stayed stuck in her depression. These drugs, these antidepressants, were never going to help her. Mm-hmm. They were never going to change the behaviors in her home. They were never going to change. And even though she wasn't at the job anymore, she's not improving. So this is where he came clean in all of this to say to her, 
She is currently on antidepressants because of the behavior I did to her. She's stuck. So I said to him, well, you're uncovering everything now. You're being honest. I'm trying to help you point out what you did to her so that what she can sit back now and say, okay, these are all the truths. Why am I on antidepressants? But it took a while within that hour for her to even be able to sit there and think that, to even question it, to even say, hmm, maybe this isn't about this boss. Maybe it never was. Maybe I didn't want to see all of the other issues. Maybe lying to my doctor wasn't in my best interests. There, there was a lot. There was a lot in this session for this person mm-hmm. in one hour. He said that he never said anything to her about what being on the antidepressants and that perhaps they weren't the right thing to be on because it wasn't a chemical imbalance. It was their behaviors in their marriage and the cycles that they went through. And he said to her that while she was on the antidepressants, it made him feel more powerful because she wasn't able to feel emotions strongly. So she was more numb, which allowed him to escalate things. That scared the shit out of me when I heard that. Mm-hmm. It really did. I felt heartbroken for her. And as Karen, I felt really mad at this dead harve yeah i felt i felt angry at him i was happy in some ways that he was coming through to say holy crap like i created a horrible life for this woman but what a time to be able to actually finally come through i mean i i'm grateful as a medium that it's still in her lifetime that in her mid-50s, she did finally get it. Because I could think to myself, well, maybe this is the perfect place for this, to see a medium, to get him to admit to everything. Because I'm not a counselor, I'm not a therapist, I'm not a psychiatrist, I'm not a psychologist, or any of those things. But I wondered, sitting in that chair in that moment, if a therapist would think, listening to this, Thank God. Well, yeah, because the therapist can't offer the apology from the dead person. Or the acknowledgements. They might be able to figure it out and try and offer the apology for them or say, write a letter to them about how you felt. But this is actually him saying, yeah, I did it. Yeah, I'm the one that left the garbage can heaping. Yeah, I screwed your mind up so that you couldn't function in a job. But I went to mine and functioned. I just, I thought of how powerful it was for a person who's been that abused to sit there and hear all of that within the hour, Mm -hmm. to be able to maybe go back into a doctor's office and say the truth and to say, how about a referral to a good therapist? Well, and you, I've seen a change in your practice and I know we've talked about this over the last little bit, more abusers coming through our doors. Oh yeah. Saying that they've listened to the show and they've identified that they are actually the one doing what Harv has done mm-hmm. and walking in and saying, I need the help. Whereas more in the beginning of both of our practices, even though they started at different times, we had 
like we've said, a lot of women dropping men off at the door saying, fix them. Mm-hmm. And the men sat down not knowing what they were there for and got to hear that their wives were abusers. Mm-hmm. And that's a very deep, confusing conversation to have when you leave a place that you weren't even anticipating going to. Mm-hmm. But there's, there's been a change. There absolutely has been. And I'm, ho- I'm hoping that's it comes about because we share stories like this. Yeah, I'm hoping more for a shift in the physicians because to me, and I know I know what kind of story you were telling and the points that you were trying to make, I feel most angry at the negligence of doctors. However, from what I'm understanding, when you go through med school, you're not actually trained in how to ask better questions in order to actually refer them to different professionals. So instead of being able to ask, oh, whoa, you said you're getting bullied at work, you actually need communication help. You need to see a coach or you need to see a consultant, Mm -hmm. right? Where they're going to give you communication tools and confidence to actually stand up, use your voice, body language, and all those things to assert yourself, which had he done that knowing the false information, because I know what you're saying, she could have got those tools for work and allowed them to spill over into the home life. Oh, totally. The same way that you're saying that abuse from the home life spilled over into her confidence in the job. Yeah. That's, that's where my concern of the negligence comes from. Yeah. And I mean, I, I mean, I keep thinking in moments like that, Kelly, about her listening to a show like Patricia Evans, the verbally abusive relationship with Patricia Evans, where... Had she known the 15 forms of verbal abuse, she could have caught him in all of those things. Yeah, it would have been a whoa, 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 like five times in one conversation. Mm -hmm. And if she had read Patricia's other book, Controlling People, that she actually would have got the tools to be able to confront him and not let him turn it back on where she had to defend herself. Yep. And actually, when I made the initial conversation of can we speed this up, uh, all that was in my head was um, emotional blackmail from Susan, Dr. Susan Forward. Yeah. Everything, and I don't mean this to be rude, this is textbook. This is a textbook abuse. This isn't even creative abuse. Yeah. I, I understand. Oh, I know you do. Mm-hmm. So anyway, it's around this point when he referred to grief paralysis. And if I remember correctly, it had to do with the fact that she felt stuck. She was medicated. She couldn't feel the emotions, but because she couldn't feel anything, she couldn't make any different decisions for her life. She couldn't make any good changes. Her family was noticing she was just staying stuck in everything, in routines. Some healthy, some not healthy. She wasn't finding a therapist because she thought the drugs were the answer. And that was one of the keys. When he said to me, Karen... She feels that the drugs are supposed to be doing the job of helping her move through grief, of helping her cope with her problems. It was the thing that deterred her from believing in any way, shape or form that therapy could help. Well, she'd be terrified to speak. Mm -hmm. People who are verbally abused aren't exactly inclined to narrate their own story. Yeah. I find this interesting, and I know you already know this just from living in the same house. I'm diving right into this book called Lost Connections, and it focuses heavily on this this author who uses his own story to tell the 
the the entire investigation into antidepressants. And he's just talking about, you know, he was starting to use them as a teenager in the time when they were coming on the market. And he really hardcore believed that they were the answer to everything. And they worked for a very short period of time, but he realized that in that short period of time, he needed to up his dose, up his dose several times, and he would immediately gain weight. And he also noticed that they didn't make him better. They just didn't make him worse. Hmm. And he was also seeing a therapist and the therapist addressed it after a period of time. And he just said, you know, antidepressants are the way to go. And the therapist said, you know, it's weird that you say that because you still seem depressed to me. Mm hmm. And so it's his journey through the book to realize that connections are, or lost connections, as the book is titled, is the real cause of depression. Yeah. And and I think it's so important how you're making this, you're, the author of Lost Connections is, and that what we do as mediums is actually re, reconnect people. Mm-hmm. But we do it with truth. Mm-hmm. We do it with the apology. We do it with the sincerity and with the integrity of the person's soul, not just the person they were when they were on earth. And that's one of the things that was key that so many people who come to mediums don't understand. They'll say things like, well, he's apologizing for the way he treated me. That doesn't sound like my husband. I don't think you got him very well. And it's like, no. He was an abuser on earth. He's moved through that on the other side to know what he did. He's here today to say, I behave that way. That is the accuracy. But now I've changed. I've healed. I've done all of my work. I'm here to acknowledge what I did to you. I'm here to say it was mean, that it was abuse, that it was controlling, that it was lying. It was manipulating. It was blackmail. I am sorry. So can I go back to a question that I had originally asked you? Yes. Because, and maybe now's the time or maybe it's not the time and you can, you can be the judge of that. I had asked if you at any point disagreed with him titling this grief paralysis. And I mean, I'll label the show. That's fine. But I'm curious because to me, that's not what this is at all. It is what she believes it is, that she's grieving and that that's what the paralysis is. But from all of the facts that you're talking about, this is a deep, deep depression, an identity crisis. And yes, I'll 100% agree with the paralysis part. Um, The grieving, not over him. She believes that. And that's the key of the show. The key, I believe, and that's the question you're asking, and that's what you're suggesting, so I'm agreeing. She believes that she is stuck in grief. Okay, so that was my question is, were you able to listen to Harv and understand that he was labeling it based on her belief system? Totally. Or was he labeling it based on what he was actually presenting as facts now? Based on what she believes. Okay. And, and I think that's key. Because so many people would believe that of themselves. That my partner died and I'm in grief. Yes. Yeah. Not that he abused me. Because so many times in sessions, when I'm in this very same situation over and over again, where somebody who was abused by their husband or their wife or their dad or their mother and then dies, they think they're stuck in grief. 
and will go to their physicians and want antidepressants. I'm stuck. I'm grieving. And not understand or be upfront with the physicians to say, I've been abused. I won't argue the physician point again. No, because we've made yeah. that. We understand. And when what there's there were so many points to this, Kelly. Yeah. One of them being that y- where you have said you hope that more physicians get on board and understand. Well, and yeah. And, and learn how to ask better questions. Yeah. And even, I mean, just with the whole idea of grief paralysis alone, not even the abuse factored in. Yeah. Where's the referral to grief counseling? Yes. So that there is actually an ability to talk through things, to I, to process, to identify the issues and red flags, so that drugs aren't the option. I want to point out at, right at this point in the show, separate to this particular client case, that in my own practice, I have seen a tremendous change in physicians and psychiatrists, psychologists, therapists, in this community, amazing, who refer to you and I, when people are going through abuse, and going through what they might think is grief processes and mm-hmm. refer and say, you better go see Karen or Kelly, to get it straightened out. Tape record their session and go back to their therapist with cool. the recording. And that's a fantastic tool then for the therapist to sit down and see what we got through. Mm-hmm. Because that therapist might be able to sit there and go, okay, so your ex-wife came through and apologized to you. It's clear now the abuse is there. Mm-hmm. We don't have to argue over that anymore, do we? Yeah. Saves them time for sure. Yes. Saves you money. Yeah. Hopefully. And I know we've pointed that out too, that if, if you're not getting to the bottom of things within a year or two, something's wrong. The connection, the integrity... Well, I think that's why more therapists are starting to see that mediums have a place in this process and a good function to be able to help long healing, clarity, resolution, picking up, moving on, the whole thing, because it is a process. Mm-hmm. And, and collaborative. I know you and I are big advocates for the collaborative part of that process because it doesn't make one profession obsolete it doesn't make one profession less valued than the other oh my goodness no I hope it does exactly the opposite of like what you say collaboration does if they come and see us once or twice or a couple of times whatever they need to be able to actually hear that absorb that digest it sometimes they'll come back after that first session and go okay I need to I need to go back over what you said can you go back and talk to my husband again well how about being able to hand a handwritten letter from a dead person with an apology that you could give to your therapist and say, oh, my husband handed this to me through a medium. Yeah. What the fuck do I do with that? Yeah. Help me work through that. Yeah. Oh, yes. There's so much to this, eh? I I think at this point, because I've made all the points I wanted to, and, and as did you, so thank you for bringing in so many good aspects of this from different perspectives, because you've got the doctors sitting there, You've got the client that's sitting in front of me that's going through, I'd say, quite a lot in one hour that maybe they couldn't get through for a very long time. Mm -hmm. Because when you're being abused in that relationship for decades, the majority of their their lives, and maybe in a good deal of these cases, have been abused since birth. Yeah. 
Because a lot of these people that by the time they think a husband or a wife is normal to treat them this way, they were already abused by a parent mm-hmm. or both parents or caregivers. Similarly to how their parent or their current partner abuses them. Yes. It's, we've said this before, it's familiar. Mm-hmm. And they may watch enough TV to think it is the norm. <laughs> Eric and I were just watching our new Hooked on Our show, How to Get Away with Murder. And whatever interaction happened, he goes, oh, my God, is this why people think it's normal to abuse each other and stay in a relationship? Yep. It's in our faces constantly. It's yeah. romanticized. Yes. So if they're not being told... And it's by somebody in their life that this is not normal, that it is not healthy. They don't know until they sit down. And sometimes even when they sit with a therapist, if they're not divulging to even to their therapist, the truth, a lot of people go to therapy and lie to the therapist. Mm -hmm. Well, and like you're saying, it took her 20 minutes to even get to a point of being able to believe you that her underlying belief system wasn't true yes i had to keep pointing out the particular things he did to her fully aware that he was doing them but purposely creating confusion in her i I find this neat because in in my own practice when i'm sitting with a client doing what you're describing no matter how difficult no matter how time consuming it is i will say to them thank you for working through that with me Mm -hmm. because to hear a client say no that couldn't be him no that couldn't be him three and four times and we're sitting there confused because they keep saying the same thing over and over again on the other side Mm -hmm. that's conflicting with the client when the client finally lets it click you have to give them gratitude oh for the hard work that they've done to get to that point Mm-hmm. And I've seen some people where they're like, why are you thanking me? And it's very, it's condescending, but it's also defensive. And it, I know that it comes from a place of why would I be thanked? There's shame and guilt for having put us through that process of struggle yeah, because they were too afraid or they had their own blocks for whatever reason it was. And I still, still, and will always believe that it's worth thanking them. Absolutely. Because they need to know, everyone needs to know that you can be wrong, that you can change your mind, that you can see the light, however you want to refer to that, that there can be a change and you can be safe with it. Yeah. I think so very much, Kelly, you and I want people to feel so safe here in our home and in these practices with us as our clients, so safe that they can come to a new awareness all of our clients that are listening are going yep and they're tapping the person next to them there's actually a chalkboard in their living room that says you are safe yeah and i have to stare at it before i go in for my session (laughs) purposely put that in the living room it it takes how many times have regular clients come and said did you just put that up Mm -hmm. did you just put that up today for me no it's been hanging for three years Mm -hmm. but it takes that long for them to see it to to absorb it to digest it Mm mm-hmm to believe it because when you actually truly do feel safe the truth can sit within you that's a good note to end on all right thank you for sharing and thank you for taking your notes because i know that happened a while ago oh i had to um i had to write those notes down because i was so confused when he said call it grief paralysis (laughs) and i couldn't figure it out I couldn't figure it. Remember you said to me at the beginning of the show, who's, or what did it really mean? Or whose was it? 
I just couldn't figure it out as I was even writing out all of the notes from that session. And as you said, I wrote those notes out weeks ago. Anyway, Kelly, thank you for working through that. Yeah, um, me too. I think this was a very important show. I know that some people who are listening to it maybe have pulled over to the side of the road and went, Jesus, that's me. And some people might go, that's my sister or, or that that's my dad. That's my dad going through that. That's my mom doing that to my dad. What do I do? What do I do? Do I have to wait till my mom's dead before my dad will ever be okay? Sometimes. And, and yes, that is the answer. Sometimes, yes, you have to wait for them to be, be to be dead. Because we can post all the resources that is that are available to us. We can offer them to everyone who's listening. You can offer and extend them to people because you've heard this today. But you can't make someone get help. You can't make anyone want it for themselves either. Yeah, and to all the people who are listening today that have become the new norm of client that comes through our doors here or calls us or Skype or whatever who are the abusers because there's a there is a whole bunch of people now listening to this that are going Jesus maybe, maybe I'm that I'm that person I know I'm that person or that parent yeah um I'm gonna go I'm gonna call them I'm going to, to sit down and talk to them I'm the one that's doing that what do I do and that's one of their questions because quite often they don't even know what to do is the first step. They've been in so they've been so ingrained in their behavior, they honestly don't know how to live a different life. They don't know what their tools are to communicate to be different. Mm-hmm. They need their own toolkit. Yep. Okay. Yeah. If you have questions or comments about today's show, you can email us at info at Otherwise, have an exceptional weekend.